Hello and welcome to the Mint Dialogue episode number 81. This interview recorded on October 23rd, 2013, is with my good friend Greg Verdino. Greg is an author and well-respected digital marketing expert. He comes from a great background, including Digitas and Crayon with my good friend Joe Daffy, and most recently was EVP Strategy at the Duchess Group. He has now launched his own consultancy and works with some of the top companies on their leadership, innovation strategy, and transformation to digital. Great topics. Hope you'll enjoy the show. Welcome to the Minta Dialogue Internet Show, where we discuss brand marketing with a focus on all things digital. I am Minta Dial, author of TheMindset.com, that's T-H-E-M-Y-N-D-S-E-T, where branding gets personal. You'll find the show notes on the blog for the upcoming interview. Let's cut to quick. Enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Minter Dialogue Internet Show or radio show, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I have with me in Manhattan a friend who I met, I guess, about oh, six, seven years ago, uh, working on some project with, uh, with L'Oreal. We have a lot of friends in common, so a shout-out to uh, Joe and Mitch and, gosh, and our friends in London, Richard and Ian, Lucas uh, and Patterson from Discerning digital. So, um, Greg, tell us who you are, and as Mitchell says, what you do. <laughs> uh, so, my name is Greg Verdino, um, and I'm an independent consultant uh, with a long history, 20 or so years, maybe maybe more than that, um, in, uh, in digital marketing and innovation, um, also in uh, marketing innovation at the blend of those two things, um, and I've been doing a lot of work over the past several years in, um, in, uh, in, in, in strategic foresight in digital transformation and business transformation and in innovation, business, and process design for large corporations. All right, so I, I don't know about you, Greg, but I get the feeling as I, I see these uh, companies all looking at innovation, I, I kind of get the feeling they're reacting to the fact that innovation has been happening so massively recently and that they kind of missed the boat. Do you feel like there's been a, a jump on the innovation bandwagon or, or what? Yeah, I mean, certainly there has. Um, innovation, I think, as you were saying even, I'm not sure if I'm giving away your secrets now, but as you said, there are many companies that um, that have put innovation in, the, you know, in, their, in their core values. I think uh, quite a few CEOs and the preponderance of CEOs would say that innovation is one of their biggest business challenges. I think the real challenge, though, is in innovation. It's the fact that innovation is, you know, they're giving it lip service, but not, not, not necessarily um, turning it into a business mandate. Right. So you see innovation on the wall, but then actually how does it actually come around? And, and the digital component has obviously accelerated the urgency to be a little bit more strategic or be up to date with what's going on. All right. So let's, let's see if you would, uh, Greg, talk about how you approach bringing innovation into a company and trying to move from the what's on the wall into reality? Well, I think, you know, I think the first thing, you know, one of the biggest issues that a lot of companies have is that they treat innovation as an event. They'll have a brainstorm and everybody will have lots of great ideas and you'll leave the brainstorm energized and... Um, and go back to your desk and everything kind of stops dead. The event happened, it had a discrete start, a discrete stop, something happened in the middle, but nothing actually happens after that event. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think a lot of companies are now just beginning to realize, I mean, some have known this for a while, but I think many of the larger, more traditional corporates are starting to realize that innovation can't be an event.
event, it needs to be a process. Um, and sometimes that process is managed internally um, through a team who literally you know, builds process around how do we do innovation, how do we keep it always on, how do we tie it to our business goals, not just you know not just a kind of pie in the sky suggestion box, you know, stick your ID here kind of thing. Um, and then also a lot of companies are now thinking about how do they um, embrace open innovation and look to an external ecosystem of other companies, of individuals, of even uh, in many cases academia um, to identify the best thinking from outside the four walls that can be leveraged inside the four walls in creative ways that deliver more value to their customers. Yeah, well, it's like it's like open data. You know, there's a lot of other data. How can you bring that in? Much less ideas coming in. All right, so uh, larger companies, uh, you know, they've traditionally given lip service to it. They might eventually have a, a chief innovation officer or a chief strategy officer. What, what are the kinds of things that you you see working? Or, and you like to recommend, I guess, in terms of getting that to happen. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously different models, um, and every company within reason, every company is different. Um, so something that might work for one company may not work for another. So a lot of times, um, the earliest stages of any innovation project I get involved with really dives deep into the corporate culture to really understand how the company operates, how people in the company think, um, and what's happened with innovation within that company in the past, and you know, why have things worked, why haven't things worked. Um, how important is innovation to the executive leadership team or the chief strategy mm-hmm. officer? Um, is it is it bubbling up? Is it is it is it trickling down? Um, what I find, I mean, almost categorically, even though how this gets implemented is different company to company, almost categorically, you need a little bit of both trickle down and bubble up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need everybody in an organization ultimately to have permission to innovate, mm-hmm. the permission to be creative, to come up with new and different solutions to um, to company. Problems and to consumer or customer problems, but at the same time, without um, without innovation leadership in the at the highest ranks, not just the the word on the wall, mm-hmm. but having a CEO who fundamentally believes that the business needs to innovate in order to be sustainable over time. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, the the bubble up effect, the grassroots innovation efforts just amount to a whole bunch of noise and distraction, and they never get the traction they need in an organization to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes um, in, in, in the near to midterm, um, it's important for a company to uh, make some, you know, some some visible bold moves mm-hmm. um, in, you know, in in hiring a chief innovation officer, as you said, or creating an innovation center of excellence or an innovation business unit of some kind, and actually putting the resources into that unit so that you're not begging and borrowing and right. stealing for um, for resources from around the organization. But ultimately, over the long term, it becomes critical for innovation to become embedded into every function. You know, I think, I, I remember a blog post you wrote um, that I agreed with wholeheartedly. It was fund- It was about digital specifically, but the same principle applies for innovation in general is that, you know, in the near term, it might be okay for innovation to be 100% of somebody's job, but ultimately it needs to be 10% of everybody's job. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean you need to have the, you know, sort of the former Google-style policy right. of everybody gets 20% time to focus on their own passion projects. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there, you know, it does mean that you need to make it, you know, make it core to the way your people operate, the way your people act, the way your people think, and, and essentially needs to be permissible for people to innovate within their roles and beyond their roles. 
as well. When I hear you say the permission to innovate, I also I tend to make a parallel with the permission to fail. Mm-hmm. So the, how, to what extent is the regard, when you look at the culture, the, the component of failure, how do you, how do you deal with that? That's a, that's a huge challenge um, because in most companies, obviously, people don't have that permission to fail. There's a, you know, most companies that have a permission to fail, it's a culture of fear. Um, so, I mean, a lot of, you know, it, it, it's, it's not the easiest thing to do, but over time, you really need to work with, um, you know, with, with key stakeholders in the business to shift mindset. Um, obviously, you know, culture doesn't shift overnight, mm-hmm. um, but when, when key people in the business begin to, you know, achieve new mindsets around what it means to be a 21st century business and what it means to be in the early stages of transforming a business and what role innovation plays and, and how they, they, they measure um, performance of their people changes over time, um, it begins to kind of you know, move through the culture. Uh, so w- when you say the key players, then who for you are like the top three key players? And, or, I mean, obviously everybody. But everybody, everybody ultimately. Um, but, you know, I would say, um, you know, I don't know if you can even, you know, narrow it down to three, but I do believe that the you know, chief executive officer in the business needs to have an innovation mindset in most, you know, if the company is going to go down an innovation path, obviously. Um, paradoxically, because this is the most um, conservative person in most organizations, I think the chief financial officer needs to understand um, that the company has to have an innovation mindset and has to have some leeway for failure. Um, you know, we've kind of moved, you know, if the 20th century was a right brain century, it was all about measurement. Measurement's no less important, but the 21st century, of course, is becoming more of a left brain, I mean a right brain, rather. Right. So a Daniel Pink kind of yeah, whole, right. whole new mind. Yeah, so, you know, but I mean, you know, where creativity all, all of a sudden is far more important in business than it ever had been, um, at least in most businesses outside of you know marketing and advertising and and, and media. Um, so um, you know, so having a chief financial officer who understands and has a, a stomach for. Um, you know, for failure, I think is important. Um, certainly, a chief strategy officer. Um, and it sounds, again, it almost sounds silly to say, well, the chief strategy officer isn't um, innovation oriented. But the truth of the matter is, most strategy in most companies is really, you know, how do we do what we're doing now, but a little bit bigger, mm-hmm. right? How do we get 10% bigger doing the same things we've always done? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, that that's not a mindset that necessarily suits the um, the times. Or the best interests of the business, and it certainly isn't conducive to innovation. So, one of the, um, and, and certainly Joe would be a proponent of this, but looking outside the company for innovation. So, uh, I've, I've seen a couple of examples of, of companies pondering the idea of sort of kickstarting a startup from within, but making it a separate unit. Uh, how do you, have you seen any examples of that that have worked, uh, and what are the things that, to watch out for? I mean, I think that, I mean, there are certainly examples. There's, I mean, obviously many different models for that. Um, you know, I think Nike, for example, is one company that's been pretty successful in incubating technology businesses inside what's essentially an apparel company. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so, you know, you might look to, to, to models like that um, where, you know, some of those businesses were incubated inside existing business units but since have been brought together into a digital or technology business unit mm-hmm. of itself, which is essentially an, an, an internal startup of sorts. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but with the access to resources from the core businesses, uh, because that's one of the key things that clearly they're banking on is the blur between sort of physical and digital, mm-hmm. right? It's not just the you know the fuel band it's, or the the um, you know the Nike Plus or Nike Run. It's also the fact that you're wearing sneakers and you know, gotta hopefully um, bring something yeah, else in. Yeah, yeah you're actually gonna, you're actually going to be physically active, and you know for them it's important to, you know to blur the line between their traditional business and their digital business. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the interesting opportunity areas for many companies. Mm-hmm. In, you know, well, because they, they really looked at, at the services around their products and, and out of that came innovation. Exactly right. And um, I think for probably too many people, still they hear the word innovation and think, you know, wild-ass crazy ideas, pie-in-the-sky stuff, which it could be. Um, but not all innovation is that kind of you know disruptive or transformative innovation. Sometimes it begins by thinking about how do we super serve the audience we already serve in new and interesting ways that we haven't done before. Um, and you know that's in, you know what a lot, a lot of you know as you say surrounding the core product with additional services and products, mm-hmm. um, and you know networking them into an ecosystem of solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I think another interesting thing I'm seeing, and I'm seeing this in the pharma space. Um, certainly through some of the work I've done with some big pharmas, but also in research I've done in the industry to support that work, um, a lot of um, a lot of large companies, as I said, in the pharma space, but in other other industries as well, are also becoming more open about how they partner with startups. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, and you know, you mentioned Joe and his work at Evolution, and in you know, in, in a lot of the work they're doing, it's you know, it's fun, you know. Their business is fundamentally about partnering big brand marketers with startup technology companies um, that have some value proposition for big brand marketers. Uh, in other cases, um, it might be taking a you know a pharma company who is. Um, Research-driven, but fundamentally focused on the molecule, in the interest of you know certainly you know finding the next blockbuster drug, um, and you know and and increasingly find themselves moving into data and devices and mm-hmm. services um, instead of building those things in-house, finding startups who are building health tech mm-hmm. um, or mobile tech or um, data services uh, that can be leveraged into the pharma space that would allow a big you know, drug company to offer a pill, a product, data, services, and bring it all together into mm-hmm. a total healthcare management system mm-hmm. as opposed to a disease management system. All right, when we talk about innovation, uh, it's a lot about change management. And, and at the same time, something you work on a lot is also digital transformation. To what extent is there... A parallel universe. <laughs> There's certainly a lot of overlap. Um, you know, it, it, when you think about it fundamentally, you know, I think you'd be hard pressed in this day and age to find any innovation that's not either that's not either tech centric or tech enabled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, in many cases, digital transformation and innovation kind of go hand in hand. Um, although not exclusively, there's plenty of innovation that could happen and should happen in the real world, mm-hmm. and there's business model innovation that may or may not be directly digital. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the 
you know, I think one of the biggest shifts certainly happening for many businesses today is that after decades now of the internet um, and a decade or so of even social and mobile, um, a lot of companies are still coming to grips with the fact that they need to evolve their business to be more digital and less analog. Um, so the two are very similar. Uh, both require a lot of change management. Uh, both require significant mindset shifts. Uh, they require lots of skill set building, mm-hmm. um, and, um, and 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 our big you know cultural um, transformations mm-hmm. for businesses. When you look at, at the organizations with whom you're working, Greg, uh, we talk. I mean, the organization, so the org chart, has a, a major part to play in this. We can talk about a chief strategy officer or a chief innovation officer, then there's a chief digital officer. To what extent do they need to be reporting into one another or not? Um, you know, I th- should they report to one another? I would say probably not. In a perfect world, um, I would almost see the you know the folks you just mentioned as the you know the cabinet to the CEO. Um, I believe in many ways the CEO at the end of the day should be those things. I mean, he may not carry that title, um, but you know the same way I heard um, somebody I can't remember who recently say um, the chief marketing officer is the number two marketer in the company. The number one must be the chief executive officer. Um, you know, so it's the same kind of principle. Um, you know, I think that there are a lot of different companies are playing with a lot of different organizational models. In some cases, digital is becoming a subset of strategy or innovation is becoming a subset of digital or all of those things. And I think what you end up with is a, you know, this sort of dense layered organization where everybody's got accountability or, you know, different people have accountability. Nobody's got authority. Um, and ultimately nothing happens. Um, and I think over time, while certain constructs like standing up a digital department or an innovation department or a center of excellence for either of those things um, serves a role in the short term because it can catalyze change in the organization. I mean, if I were chief digital officer at any large company, in my mind, good, bad, or otherwise, my job would be to put myself out of a job before too many years went by. (laughs) That's exactly right. So you said that before um, the CEO should also be the innovation dude, the chief marketer. My question for you is, to what extent do you believe that a CEO should have a social media presence? It's a little bit off the chart, but it's it's related. A little bit off. You know, I think that it's a tricky question because there's, you know, I think there's still a standing perception that social media presence constitutes dinking around on Facebook and Twitter. Um, but, you know, the truth of the matter is, in many ways, having a social media presence is the digital equivalent of, you know, doing quarterly town halls or investor meetings or uh, meeting with analysts in many ways. Um, you know, or meeting with clients. Or, or, of course, meeting with clients. So, you know, I do believe that uh, rather than a, say a social media presence, I will say that a, a chief executive officer should have a digital footprint of some sort um, as part of their personal – I don't like the term personal brand, but as, their, uh, as part of their professional brand. Um, you know, so I guess that's a long, long way of saying, yes, I do believe the CEO needs to have some presence. They, you know, and I've always believed – 
whether you're the CEO or the intern, that you need to have a hands-on experience with the technologies and the platforms and the experiences that your customers have. Yeah, I mean, it's just like this whole idea of having the mindset for innovation, but if you don't know how it's being experienced out there, then you're going to come up with some bird brain ideas that you said at the very beginning that might be sort of out there. So, Greg, um, great to have you on the show. I know our time is as it is. Lovely to be with you again. Uh, tell us how people can track you down, follow you, buy your books. What are your best? <laughs> um, easiest way to find everything is at gregverdino.com. Um, I'm at Greg Verdino on Twitter. Uh, if you Google Greg Verdino, as arrogant as it sounds, you'll pretty much find everything else from my LinkedIn profile to, I'm sure, some like old, decrepit MySpace page from you know 1995. <laughs> well, you're a good example of having a, a, your personal reputation well in place. <laughs> I suppose so. All right. Well, thanks a lot for being on the show. Talk to you soon, Greg. Thanks, Minter. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Internet Show. You'll find the show notes on themindset.com, where you can also sign up for my weekly newsletter at forward slash subscribe. If you like the show, please rate it in iTunes, and don't forget to click the handy Facebook like button or to tweet it out. In the meantime, please come join the conversation at The Mindset, or catch me on Twitter at M-D-I-A-L. Happy trails. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcasts and now available on YouTube.